Romans chapter 14 in your Bible tonight, Romans 14. I think we've been in the book of Romans now for over two years, but uh, not every service, but many of them. Okay, Romans chapter 14, stand to your feet with me as we read God's Word together. Will you do so, please? Romans chapter 14 and beginning in verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, that's a weak Christian, obviously, receive you, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth only herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or he falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth to the Lord, eat, he that eateth eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. And Heavenly Father, tonight I pray that you will just open our hearts and minds as we look into your Word and discover some really important principles for every one of us. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, my subject here is questionable issues, questionable issues. And in this chapter, the Apostle Paul, writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, gives us principles that underlie Christian conduct in our lives. And these principles dealt with two specific issues here in Romans 14, but those the principles underlie Christian conduct for all time and in all circumstances. So they are as applicable to you and me tonight as they were when Paul wrote, wrote this to the Romans. The issues have just changed. What do I mean about a questionable issue? I mean an issue in which the Bible does not speak clearly, specifically, and dogmatically about whether that issue is right or wrong. Issues that in our minds are questionable. Issues that there are good Christians that practice that activity, and there are good Christians who don't practice that activity. And I'll be more specific in a few moments. But in Paul's day, when he was writing this, there were two specific issues that he deals with, and I read that in the text passage here. The first one is the matter of eating. In verse number 2, one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak only eats herbs. He doesn't eat the meat, if you will notice the passage there. 
Now, what is he talking about here? The eating meat idea here. And what he's talking about, and he expounds on this again over in 1 Corinthians. In that day, there was a real controversy in the churches. And the controversy involved the eating of meat that had been offered or sacrificed in the pagan idol temples. And uh, what, what had happened in that day is these pagan priests would uh, get choice cuts of meat. They would purchase them and take them into their temple where they worshiped an idol. And they would actually lay that meat down in front of the idol God that they worshiped. And they would have some sort of ritualistic ceremony. They would pray and give this choice steak or whatever it was to the gods. Well, the gods were made out of wood and stone and iron and so on. Not once in all of history did an idol eat a steak. So the meat laid there for a few moments. The ceremony ended. And after a while, the priest got pretty smart. They would take the meat back into the meat market. They would wash it off, and they would resell it. They would label it as the meat that had been offered at the pagan temple, but nobody thought anything about it. And they would sell the money even at reduced prices. Now, there were two ways of looking at that piece of meat. And some of the Christians in the church had been saved out of paganism. They had actually participated in the offering of those cuts of meat to the idol gods. And, and, and you've seen almost the same thing in America. You, you can actually now go to the cemetery and see some strange things on people's graves right here in Florence. I know. I've been out there and just walked up, and there it was. Strange things that people offer to the spirits of their own deceased loved ones right, right here in Florence. And so it, it's not so foreign. And, and I've been over to China, and I've been to a Buddhist temple, and I saw that they put money in a little dish and set it in front of the idol as if the idol needed money and they would put morsels of food there they would cook and put eggs or something there on a little dish and they would put it up in front of the idol god the buddha or whatever it happened to be so that's still being practiced in the world today it may be foreign to us in a christian culture here in the pd but it's it's not entirely foreign to the rest of the world and so they would then resell the meat at a discount. And the people that had been saved out of paganism, it bothered them. It bothered their conscience. They said, I know where that meat has been. And they felt that somehow they were contributing to the paganism if they were to purchase and eat that meat. So those people would pay more money to buy the same cut of meat that had never been offered to the pagan God. And other people would just simply buy the meat and eat it and think nothing about it. A questionable issue. Now, in verse 5 and 6 then, he talked about days. And what he's talking about, one man esteemeth one day above another, and another esteemeth every day alike. He's talking there primary, primarily to the Jews. Because as you know, the Jews 
strictly observed the Sabbath day. And not only did they observe the Sabbath, but the Jews also observed other feast days, times in the year like the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, and so on. And on those days, they did no work. They were very strict in their observance of this day. They spent it as the Scripture told them to do. But now we're into the New Testament. That's passed away. We're not under those ordinances of the Old Testament any longer. And so other Christians, particularly those coming out of a Gentile background, had never been accustomed to those Feast of Tabernacles and Pentecost and all those various things, the Day of Atonement and so on. So it didn't mean anything to them. They just went on to work and, and observed the day like it was just any other day. And so it was questionable. Some people felt one way about it. Some people felt another. It even got to the point that it was dividing the churches. They were having controversy and contention about it. And so I kind of imagined a scenario in my thinking as I was studying about it. And we'll call her Mrs. A. And Mrs. A goes to the meat market, and she has no scruples. She has no questions about it. She was saved out of Judaism. And uh, for Mrs. A, she's looking at the meat, and she says, that looks like a fine steak. Well, it came out of the section of meat that had been offered over here to the pagan gods. But it's a discount, and she's Jewish. And so you know which steak she's going to buy that day, don't you? And she buys the steak and uh, takes it home, cooks it, no problem. She's never even been in an idol temple. She sees no connection with helping the cause of idolatry, the pagan god. And uh, over here is Mrs. B. And Mrs. B looks at Mrs. A. They go, both go to the same church. Look down in verse 15. What's her reaction? She is grieved. It really upsets her. I can't believe a member of our church would buy that defiled, degraded, sinful, contaminated meat and take it home and eat it? Do they not know that pagan priest prayed over that piece of steak? And therefore, I can't believe she's doing that. That really offends me. And she even sits down at dinner that night with her husband, and they talk about Mrs. A., they even say, you know what, maybe it's time we find another church because they just have lost all their standards over there where we're going. And it was dividing the church over minor peripheral side issues. Now, we laugh about it, but those issues have occurred a thousand times down through the years. It's just not meat and days now. It's not diet and days, is it? Something else. Now, I'm going to show my age here. I probably am anyhow, but I'm going to really show it. I can remember when if you went to not just a Baptist church, any evangelical church, you wouldn't be there for three weeks until you would hear the, the pastor make some swipe at smoking. And boy, I mean, there was all these jokes, you know, um, that they told and people said, but... If you, were, if you smoked, 
you couldn't be an officer in the church. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't lead. You couldn't teach Sunday school. And boy, if you did, then uh, they would think the church had really compromised. And uh, all the old things that people said, you know, smoking won't send you to hell, but it'll get you to heaven quicker. Stuff like that, you know, all these little quips that people have. How many of you ever heard a preacher really lay it down on smoking? You ever heard that? See, about half of you never even heard that. That's amazing. It really does show how old I am now. <laughs> Man, I've heard some sermons that were hotter than the flame on the cigarette, I tell you that, about smoking. If you smoked, you, you'd, you know, you, you, it won't send you to hell, but it makes you smell like you've been. And uh, stuff like that. Now, I mean, preachers, we get going on smoking. Well, we got really bailed out on that one. I never mention smoking anymore. I don't know how many of you smoke. But, uh, you know, I just figure you need some help if you smoke. Why would you suck something into your lungs that you know is going to cause you cancer? And the argument back then was it harms your body, but nobody could prove it. Now it's so proven they warn you on every pack of cigarettes. I figure if you want to do it now, just go on and do it, man, because you're not going to listen to anybody. Uh, there's so much evidence on that that there's no, no reason for me to talk about it. But smoking was one of those issues, a questionable issue. Now, you come to some places here in the, in the, in the tobacco belt, you didn't hear much preaching against smoking. For obvious reasons in the PD. We all made a living off of it, didn't we? And if you lived in Timmonsville or Bennettsville or uh, Marion County, you weren't going to knock the cash crop. And so you didn't hear a lot of preaching about it here, and people smoked. And, and uh, they said the way you could tell that a church was really on fire for the Lord is look on the front steps, and all the deacons are smoking on Sunday morning. <laughs> There's enough smoke there to, you know, steam up the whole area. So, Smoking was one of those issues, and Christians debated them. And I could go on and on and on. Do you know that Billy Sunday rarely preached a sermon in which he did not preach against Christians playing with playing cards? If you put a deck of cards in your hand, man, he would smoke you. And he was one of the great evangelists of all time. Anybody here ever hear a sermon on playing cards? Okay, about 12 of you. Not very many, you see. And then attending movies. Now, you know, my dad wouldn't let me go to a movie. I used to sneak off and go every now and then. And he didn't want me to go to those dirty movies and see things like Bambi and stuff like that. that <laughs> was going to ruin me <laughs> later on in life. <laughs> but I will tell you something. I don't go to the movies today. And you know why I don't go? I don't want to be a stumbling block. And I know the way people talk. And if I walked in to see Bambi, they'd have me in an R-rated. So I don't go. Now, you don't hear me preach a whole lot about it. I used to just rail on movies. There's no sense me railing on movies. Listen, the only person here who has a right to criticize the movies is the guy that doesn't have a television in his house. Because the same thing comes from the same place. Enough, enough said. That's not my subject tonight, so I don't care. Uh, I figured out that if the Holy Spirit that I preached about this morning gets in people's lives, He will clean them up. And if I try to clean them up, all I do is make them mad. 
So I'm going to preach the truth of God's Word and let the Holy Spirit deal with you about those things. You'll, you'll understand in principle. And then I remember Sunday activities that we used to preach about. And, boy, you didn't do anything on Sunday. My son-in-law, Jay, I told you not long ago, his grandfather, Mr. Jordan, owned a big pond over there in uh, Timmonsville, and he wouldn't let the boys go out and play ball, and he wouldn't even let them fish in the fishing pond on Sunday afternoon because it was a day of rest and it was a day of worship, and that's all they were allowed to do. Homer Lindsay, who was a friend of mine and the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. And Homer had this real strong belief that we should not go out and eat on Sunday. And the reason for it was that if we ate in a restaurant on Sunday, somebody had to stay away from church and cook. And he didn't want to do that. Homer Lindsay never went out pastored the largest church in the Southern Baptist Convention. We're not talking about some little narrow-minded little hick somewhere. We're talking about a church that ran seven, 8,000 people on Sunday morning. And Junior Hill laughed and told me, he said, I used to go down there with Homer, and Homer would say after the service, God bless you, Junior, I'll see you tonight. <laughs> and he'd send him on his way. And he said, well, the only problem was Homer's going home, his wife's cooking for him, and I'm traveling on the road, and he didn't invite me home to eat with him, so what am I going to do? But... Um, that was a sincere conviction of Dr. Homer Lindsay, and I never met a more godly man. Don't laugh at that. Don't blow that off. In his mind, he had a real reason for that. He did not want people having to work on Sunday so they could not come to church. And you think about it, is that unreasonable? He wasn't legalistic about it. He didn't, he didn't say much to the church about it. In his own heart, it was a conviction of his. Women's dress, particularly, all dress, but particularly women. And the whole idea of modesty, and that women, Christian women, ought to be modest in their dress. That's always been a contentious issue. Dancing has been a contentious issue. That a man couldn't, couldn't hold a woman, and a woman couldn't hold a man close to their bodies in a dimly lit room with beautiful music playing, and keep their thoughts right. That, they're, that the intimacy of the dance produced a temptation when they held each other in close proximity. Now today, we just smirk. We're cool. We're in the new generation. You see, when you have drugs being taken by more than 10% of the population, and you have porn everywhere we look. Reason with me. We've become so desensitized, we laugh at people who had high standards in the past. Whether or not I agree with the standards and all those things, I don't agree with. I think some of those things were silly. There was no real scriptural mandate for, for them at all. But you know what? I admire the fact that the people had some convictions about something because we live in a day-to-day. -day, I meet many Christians, and honestly, I don't know what it would take to convince them that some activity is wrong, in fact.
that it's a anything goes, do what you wish to do. It doesn't matter what, how you impact anyone else. Your testimony is inconsequential. And when you live in a drug-saturated, porn-saturated society, a society where almost half of the babies born are born to unwed mothers, when you live in a culture where uh, sexual activity before marriage is not thought of at all, where marriage is going down the tubes and that a high percentage of people are living together before they ever even get married, we have become so desensitized that there's no questionable issues left. What are the questionable issues today? Well, the Bible speaks very clearly about some things. And where it does, we've got to hold the line. And where we don't, there's some principles that we ought to think about. Let me share the principles with you now, the remainder of my time. Principle number one, you'll find in verse 5, and you'll find it again in verse 10. What is the principle? The principle is the principle of Christian liberty. The principle of Christian liberty, verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another. And another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Now, here's the thing. Where the Bible speaks specifically and clearly about an issue, we ought to take a stand and never compromise rock solid on that, on that principle. But where the Bible doesn't speak as specifically and clearly, then we ought to allow each other uh, at least a measure of Christian liberty. A measure of Christian liberty. In other words, we ought to say, you know, the Holy Spirit can lead that person. If they are a true Christian and they'll look in the Word of God and they'll look at, and the Holy Spirit is working in their heart, then I'm going to trust the Lord to lead them. I don't have to be their policeman and tell them everything to do in their life. In fact, I found out that when you try to force personal convictions in questionable areas, let me say it again, when you try to force personal convictions that I might have on an issue in a questionable area where you might differ from me, then all I do is create resistance and rebellion against the things of God. You find that out sometimes with, when you're trying to rear teenagers. And it's, it's a hard thing, but sometimes we just have to step back and say, look, I have to give other people liberty to make their decision in, in certain areas. If the Bible's clear on the issue, take your stand. The preacher ought to preach on it, and he ought to teach on it. If the Bible is not clear, then we have to allow for liberty of conscience and so Paul says in this church in Rome, he writes to them and he says, Now some of you want to practice these Jewish feast days and Sabbaths. And if you do, you ought, to, you ought to follow your conscience. That's the key, follow your conscience. And others of you don't, you didn't come out of a Jewish background. The, the feast days and Sabbaths don't mean a thing to you. You follow, you follow your conscience. I'm not going to tell you what to do on that. 
Some of us have come out of very legalistic backgrounds where we expected the church to take a stand on everything. And uh, the churches have gotten into taking stands on things that the Bible just doesn't speak about. Every now and then I have some of y'all will say to me, well, you're not as strong on something as you used to be. You know what? Guilty. Because I've grown. Because I've been studying the Bible seriously for over 50 years. And I had to honestly say in some areas, I cannot support that book, chapter, and verse. And I'm not going to fight people about it if I can't. Now, if I, if I can support it, book, chapter, and verse, I'll take the issue on. But I have to grant people some liberty in some areas that I might differ with you on. Principle number two, you'll find him. well, I didn't read verse 10. Principle number one, the principle of personal liberty, granting people the right to differ from us where the Bible is not clear. Look in verse 10. Why do you judge your brother? And why do you set it not your brother? In other words, you, you, you don't even speak to him at church. You don't treat him right because he practices this practice in his life. And then he says something we ought to mark in your Bible. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he reminds us there that the Lord is our judge, not one another. Across the country today, there are churches that have declined and, and they've gone down, down, down because they've hammered away on a few gray areas that the Bible doesn't even clearly speak about it, and they've just driven people so far away because they're so judgmental. I don't know how many churches I've seen split in the Florence area since I've been here, Baptist churches. Some of them hardly existent today. It wasn't over the virgin birth of Christ. It wasn't over inerrancy. It wasn't over, you know, the cardinal doctrines. It was about this stuff. And it gets in the church and people start criticizing each other and judging each other. And before long, people are leaving and, and the church just goes to nothing. The principle of Christian liberty. Now, the second principle you'll find in ch verse, or chapter, or verse 13, let us not therefore judge one another anymore about these issues is what he's referring to. But judge this, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. That no man, underline that in your Bible, that none of us put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in our brother's way. That's verse 13b. And then look down in verse 21. It is good neither to eat flesh, back to the eating, the flesh had been offered to the idols, nor to drink wine, that's another major controversy, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth. He says it's good not to do any of those things if it causes my brother to stumble or offends him or makes him weak in the faith. So the second principle is the principle of 
our neighbor's good, the principle of loving one another, that if I know that there's something that really does bother your conscience, then I won't do that in front of you. I won't practice that and become a stumbling block. I won't hurt you in order to exercise my liberty. Does that make sense? I won't offend or hurt you. I won't do something that I know really bothers you because I love you. If I love you, I'm not going to just say, you're just an old legalist and I don't care what you think, and here it is, I'm going to do what I want to do. Boy, that is worse than whatever it is that's in contention. Above everything, we're to love one another. The Lord Jesus Christ said, you condense the law into two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. If I felt like that, um, I'm ridiculous. If I felt like driving a white car offended a bunch of people legitimately over some issue, it's not, but I don't guess. I don't know. Somebody may, may make one up after tonight. But if I thought driving a car offended a bunch of people legitimately, I'd drive another color car. I have the right to drive a white car. But if that were, in fact, a questionable issue in some Christians' minds, why would I just want to say, you ain't going to tell me what to do. I'm going to drive this white car and show you. But you know there are people that think like that, Christians that think like that. I'm going to jam it right down that bunch of legalist throat. And that's the way they think about it. Now, this principle actually limits the first principle, doesn't it? If the first principle is the principle of Christian liberty, this sort of puts some parameters around that. And things that are harmless in and of themselves cease to be harmless if they legitimately violate my neighbor's, my neighbor's conscience. Love for my neighbor should prompt me to certain behaviors in my life. Look at verse 14. I know and I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus there's nothing unclean in and of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. See, it's a matter of the conscience. If, if my conscience bothers me about eating peanut butter, then I ought to eat peanut butter. And uh, I can't explain why people feel the way they do about certain things. And if your brother is greed with your meat, now walkest thou not charitably? Don't destroy your brother by insisting you can eat the meat for whom, uh, when he's a person for whom Christ died. And then in verse 17, quickly here, he says something that is so powerful. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. The kingdom of God, what we're really involved here in our church, is not about observing days and eating diets and sure not about smoking and playing cards and attending movies and all the questionable activities that people want to dredge up that they've been brought up to believe. That's not the kingdom of God, these specific things, uh, or the, these questionable issues, rather. The kingdom is, of God is not about those things. The kingdom of God is about righteousness 
and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And I tell you, my friend, if you will focus on a righteous life, if you will focus on the other things named there, having the peace of God in your life and the joy of the Holy Spirit in your life, you know what? It's amazing how those other things just fade away. You just get people who are so little-minded. It's just like they live their life looking through a keyhole, and that's all they see. And if we've got to be bigger than that. The kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God, and he will be approved of man. And so he warns us. Don't be a stumbling block. Don't do things that you know offend people that for, for uh, legitimate reasons, of course. And the third principle is down in verse number 22 and verse 23. Hast thou faith? Do you have faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat. If you go ahead and practice something, knowing in your soul that you're convicted about it, that's the meaning of that passage. If you have doubts about it, if you're convicted, if your conscience bothers you, then don't do it. If your conscience bothers you, you're not to do it. Because he that eateth not of faith, or uh, he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, and whatsoever is not of faith is of sin. Let me show you. Turn over to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. These are such wonderful principles that help us. And, and the big principle is the principle here of the, of the clear conscience. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 3, 1 Timothy 1 and 3. Nope, that's not it. It must be 2 Timothy 1 and 3, is it? Nope. I don't know what it is. I'll go to the next one. It's 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3 and 21. Yeah. This is a verse that needs a circle around it for us. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. You want to know how to have faith in God? Don't do anything that violates your own conscience. If our conscience, if our heart condemns us not, then have we confidence toward God. So I'm sitting home, and I'm watching television. Innocent, I've been watching the news, or I've been watching a ball game or something, and something comes on, and it's risque. It's full of bad language. They're using my blessed Lord's name in vain. And I'm sitting there watching this, and listening to this, and it offends my conscience. And the Holy Spirit rises up and says, Bill, you need to turn the channel why are you going to sit here and listen to people blaspheme the name of your Lord? 
And you're going to get up on Sunday and preach to people and tell them how wonderful Jesus is. And this guy's insulting him every time he opens his mouth. And you're going to listen to that? And I continue to listen to it. See, I'm sinning. I'm violating my conscience. And when I do that and do that and do that and I keep doing that, I sear my conscience. After a while, I desensitize myself. And I can watch a program, and it's the vilest program, and the language is horrible, and it doesn't even bother me anymore because I've violated my conscience so much, I've desensitized it. What used to bother me and convict me no longer matters because I've lost my tender conscience before the Lord. Read it again. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. And Paul talked about having a conscience that's void of offense. He could say, there's nothing between my soul and the Savior. There's nothing that I know of. I'm, I'm a sinner by nature. There are things I don't even, I'm not even aware of. But I know this. There's nothing between my soul that's conscious to me and the Savior. And when that happens, go back to Romans chapter 14 and verse 22 and 23, then my faith can grow. My faith can be strong because I'm not believing one thing and acting out and living another thing. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a verse that uh, early on in life I learned it in Sunday school and church. There's a big emphasis, I guess, in the church where I was in those days as a child. And I learned that this could become a principle for everything in life. That really you could almost live your life from just know one verse of Scripture as a Christian. 1 Corinthians 10 and 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And if, you, if, if the activity or the thought that you're involved in brings glory to God, then you can have wonderful freedom of conscience, and you can do anything that your conscience will let you do when you live to the glory of God. A couple more remarks, and I'm through. Let me repeat again. The issues that I'm talking about here involve questionable issues. I'm not talking in any way about clearly taught, clearly expressed doctrines. The Scripture is very clear regarding 300 specific, 365 specific sins are named in the Bible. That's enough to keep you busy right there, isn't it? You don't need to be going out here looking for some more. <laughs> I, I, I'm having trouble still with the first 365. And once I get by them, I'll, I'll, I'll worry about the questionable ones. But there's plenty there for you and I to be challenged with through our life that the Bible clearly delineates. And the Scripture's clear regarding sin. Scripture's clear regarding the virgin birth. There's no room for multiple opinions on that. 
The Scripture is clear on inerrancy in the Scripture. It's very clear about salvation by grace through faith. I'm not teaching some form of relativism here where things change and they were once right and now they're wrong. I'm not teaching that. Some of those things that Christians were concerned about in the past, in principle, they're still wrong tonight if they were ever wrong. In some cases, though, they, people just decided they wanted to, to begin to call something a, a, a sin. They called everything. They painted with a very broad stroke. For example, movies. We, we, sh- we should have never preached against everything that was on film. Thank God today there's some good Christian movies that uplift people. So now we've kind of trapped ourselves in some, in some quarters. Second thing I want you to notice here in, in general about what I've said tonight. Paul sides with the proponents of Christian liberty more than he does Christian legalism. He's more for the people who want to eat the meat than he is for the people who don't want to eat the meat. He's more for the people who want to have freedom about the days than he is the people who are going to be so restrictive about the days. The third thing, disagreements on these questionable issues are opportunities for Christians to grow and to practice love for one another. And I've watched through the years. People will cycle through the churches. They'll come to a church for three or four years, and they get mad over some issue, and they leave, and they go to another one. And it's never over the, ver- it's never over the fundamentals of the faith. It's always about questionable stuff. Where we are not willing to give our brother and our sister some liberty and say, you know what? I don't agree with you, but I'm going to pray for you and teach the Word of God, and I hope that someday you're going to grow up and mature and get to where you can have a little bit more joy in your life. Well, I hope I haven't muddied the water. That's a hard issue to teach and preach on. Stand to your feet with me, if you will, please.